0: We're going to take a break from the Beatitudes. I told you last month we would do this once once a month. I have something I want to talk to you about. Um, to introduce this topic this morning, uh, we you know Mother's Day was a couple of weeks ago, and the kids and I got Meredith for Mother's Day a photo book, a photo album. Our first attempt at this photo album went poorly. Uh, I had. Somehow assigned the wrong picture to be the front of it And it was a picture in which all of our eyes were closed And it was really dim lighting And that couldn't be the front of the photo album So uh, ordered another one And it finally came in a couple of days ago And we sat down and looked at it And it's pictures from last spring to now And we were amazed at how different Elias and Lillian look now than they did a year ago It's incredible how much change has happened and that's going to continue happening. And those of you who have kids and grandkids, you know how that's just never-ending. Children are always changing, always growing. If you don't see them for a month, they look completely different. Now, once they become adults, all that physical growth and change is going to stop. And that's going to be what they look like until they start to decline and, and get old. Now, just like children grow physically, Christians grow spiritually. So as Christians, we ought to always be in a process of growth and change. So if someone runs into us a couple of years after the last time they've seen us, there ought to be some change in our spiritual maturity. We ought to be a little bit more like Jesus. Our lives should be aligned a little bit better to Scripture than they used to be. Now, unlike children's growth, this spiritual growth is never going to end. Until Jesus returns and fully perfects us because we're never going to reach a state of perfection right, Raise your hand if you're perfect in here. You're perfectly like Jesus No, so that means you have room to grow as do. I we will always be growing Just like christians are always growing churches are always growing Churches ought to always be progressing and growing and aligning better with Scripture. So if you were to visit Doolin's Grove five, ten years from now, hopefully we as a church would be healthier, would be more vibrant, would be more closely aligned with Scripture than we are now. Because is there anyone that thinks Doolin's Grove is perfect right now? No, we're certainly not perfect. No church will ever be perfect until Jesus comes back and perfects us all as Christians. And so we as a church definitely will be growing and progressing and changing, just like children do physically, just like Christians do spiritually, churches do as well. Now, I believe that we are ready to take a step that will better align us with Scripture. I alluded to it last month. I have a proposal that I'm going to make during our business meeting, actually preceding the business meeting, so you have time to think about it, in December. Now, I didn't mean to make it this mysterious thing. I kind of alluded to it last month, but didn't tell you what it was, mainly because I was just laying groundwork for it. I had no intention of, like, come back next month to find out. I wasn't really trying to be mysterious about it. I'll tell you what the proposal is going to be briefly, and then one Sunday a month leading up to that time, I'm going to preach a sermon on it to better explain it and and answer questions about it. So here's the proposal that I think is going to be a step forward and better aligning with what we see in scripture for our church. I'm going to propose that we establish eldership in our church. I'm going to propose that we establish an official elder board and that this be adapted into our church constitution and policies, Okay. Now, I have a lot to share with you about it, that's hence the monthly sermons, and then as we get closer to December, more sustained uh, attention given to it, so I can show you in Scripture why I think that this is important for us to do. Um, it's, It's not something that I just read in a book last week and thought, yeah, we ought to do that. I've actually felt like this will be an important step for our church since I began back in 2009. And it's something I've been studying on and getting advice about and talking with the board about. If you've been on the official board, you probably remember me bringing this up a lot throughout the years. Uh, the board and I have prayed about it on and off again pretty much this whole time. And the pastoral support team and I have given it real sustained focus uh, all last year as we prepared to actually act on it at last. Uh, I've been here 12 years now. I've been thinking this is a step we'll need to take. And so here we go. I don't do anything very abruptly or or hastily as your pastor. You've probably come to know that by now. So some of you are already familiar with the concept of eldership, but some of you probably are not familiar with it. And so I really want to take our time over these months leading into our December meeting and just sort of lay it out for you scripturally. And so this morning is just going to be basically what are elders? What are they? It's not going to answer all your questions, especially about the specifics. How would that work for us? That's going to come later as we get closer to time to make the decision. Generally, what are elders? Now, when you hear the word elder, some of you immediately probably picture like an old man. Think elder equals older. Now, that's not exactly accurate biblically. That's not quite what it means. Elders are spiritual leaders who oversee churches together. That's the simplest definition that I can give you. Elders are spiritual leaders that oversee churches together. The New Testament uses three different words for this one position. And I'll share those with you. I don't usually go Greek on you very often because I don't want to pretend that I understand the ancient Greek language, but I am going to mention these Greek words to you. So the first word is, Poimen, the other reason I don't use Greek very often is I don't know how to pronounce it correctly. Poimen, that is usually translated in our English Bibles as pastor or shepherd. Now, that's actually the least common word used for the spiritual leadership of a church in the New Testament. It's it's the only word that we tend to use as pastor. The New Testament does use that word, but it's the least common one. Okay, the second most common word is episkopos, which means overseer. And then the third Greek word is presbyteros, which is usually translated elder. And that's the most common word that you'll see in the New Testament for a church's spiritual leadership. Now, again, after studying this for all these years and reading other smarter people about it, I really think that these three Greek words are referring to one and the same position that God designed for the church. So let me just walk you through how elders came about in the early church. Okay? Jesus starts with Jesus. Jesus is the foundation of the church. The church with a capital C and every church with a lowercase c is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ belief in his death for our sins and his resurrection, adherence to his divinely authoritative teaching captured in the New Testament. Jesus founded the church, continues to be the foundation of the church, but he did not stay here physically to oversee the church. After his resurrection, after he oriented his apostles to their task, he ascended to the right hand of the Father. He is present with us uh, in his authority. He's given us the Holy Spirit to proceed without him physically present with us. But he sort of handed the task over of establishing the church to the apostles. Apostle means messenger. The apostles were not these superhero guys. They were regular guys that witnessed Jesus' teaching, his life, his death, his resurrection, that Jesus commissioned and says, this is your job now. You go forth as witnesses. So the apostles went and began to establish churches by making disciples. They shared their testimony, this is what we heard, this is what we saw. Through their message, through the good news message of Jesus Christ, God saved thousands and thousands of people, and the church began to become established. Churches in in cities, everywhere they went, Christians began to gather in these groupings called churches. But the apostles didn't stay to oversee all of these churches, they couldn't. For one, there weren't enough of them. The, the Christianity was spreading too fast. The apostles, were there were not enough of them to stay and personally oversee each church. And they were going to die one day. They couldn't oversee the church forever because they weren't going to live forever. They were going to die and await resurrection. And so the apostles, just like Jesus appointed the apostles to establish the church and get it going, the apostles appointed spiritual leaders to oversee each of these churches, and he, they called them elders. So the normative practice in the New Testament is that each church has a group, maybe a small group, of spiritually qualified people that oversee the church, and they called them elders. Now, I just want to show you this in Scripture, because I don't have any interest in trying to lead the church toward adopting some of one of my ideas. I want to see us align with what we see in Scripture And so I just want to walk you through some passages. First, Acts chapter 14, verses 21 through 23. This is just a good glimpse at the apostles' practice as they were getting churches off the ground. Acts chapter 14, verses 21 and 23. This is talking about Paul and Barnabas, and it says, when they had preached the gospel to that city... So here we get this glimpse into how Paul and Barnabas were going about their apostolic ministry. Uh, As they preached the gospel, they they would return sometimes to these cities to continue strengthening them in the truth of the gospel, giving them a heads up, you're probably going to experience tribulation, it's going to be worth it, hang in there, trust in the Lord, and then appointing elders. As they were preparing to move on, continue taking the gospel to new lands, they would appoint elders in every church. All right, next, let's just flip a few pages to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, Paul is preparing to leave Ephesus where he spent a couple of years getting the church up and running. First, just verse 17 to introduce the section, but we're not going to read the whole section. It says, now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. Okay, and then we'll skip ahead a little bit, but he's gathered the elders that he arranged and appointed at the church of Ephesus to come to him as he's preparing to leave. And then let's pick it back up at verse 28. Here's his, uh, him talking to these elders as he's preparing to leave and move on. In verse 28, he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. That's that second Greek word. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church. That word care is that poimen, that word means shepherd that we sometimes translate pastor. So pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care, shepherd, pastor for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So I just read that to just give you yet another, a little bit more intimate glimpse as to how they appointed and got these elders going about their task. And you see that what they were supposed to be doing was overseeing and pastoring the flock that the Holy Spirit had made them overseers of. Okay, just a couple more passages. So you've heard of Timothy and Titus. Now, I always thought of Timothy and Titus as pastors, the closest biblical example of what I do. But upon further study, I don't think it's quite accurate to refer to Timothy and Titus as pastors. Timothy and Titus both had unique roles. They were sort of representatives of Paul in the churches where he would send them. And he would even kind of move them around a little bit. But Paul couldn't be everywhere as everything was spreading. And so he had discipled and trained up and uh, gotten Timothy and Titus ready. And so he would send them as his emissaries, his protégés, and his representatives but they, they had the task of getting these churches up and running in Ephesus and Crete. And part of what he wanted them to do was to appoint elders there. I don't think he thought that they were going to stay there forever. He wanted them to appoint elders in these churches who would stay there. So first, let's read Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. Paul's instructions to Titus, who he left in Crete, to get things in order for the church there. Titus chapter 1, verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So here we see Paul instructing his protege, his representative, Titus, to establish elders where he was in Crete. And then he seems to want Timothy to do the same thing in Ephesus. If you'll flip back a few pages to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. The saying is trustworthy... For someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So Paul wants Titus, he wants Timothy, be appointing elders in these churches I can't stay there forever, you can't stay there forever. Let's set up a system where spiritually qualified people can spiritually lead these churches so that they thrive. He goes on in chapter 5 to give a little bit more instruction about how churches and elders are to relate to one another. 1 Timothy 5, starting at verse 17, he writes, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourselves pure. And we can stop right there. So I just have one more passage. We see that seems to be Paul's practice. Was it only Paul that operated that way? No, we also see that Peter seems to have operated in the same way, seeing that churches had elders to oversee them. Last passage will be 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 1 through 4. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning at verse 1, this is the apostle Peter. He writes, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And we'll stop there. So I share those passages with you as representative passages to sort of prove out that I think if, if you just had the New Testament, if you'd never visited a church before, and you've been studying your New Testament, and then you enter a church for the first time, I think you would expect that that church would have elders. And I think you would be confused if the church did not, because that seems to be the normative practice for the New Testament church as represented in Scripture. You would expect to see elders there providing an example of Christian maturity and providing spiritual oversight. You would expect that they would be studying the scriptures and deciding on doctrinal matters for the church and guiding the church and how those doctrinal matters evolve into the practice of the church. You would be expecting them to be there protecting the church from false teachers. And you would expect them to be overseeing the teaching of the church. Now, some of you might be thinking, wasn't well, that your job, Matt? <laughs> and yes. That's exactly right, and that's probably the easiest way to understand elders. So what we are right now as a church, Doolin's Grove, to get a little technical real quick, we are a single elder-led congregational church. Okay, so we are congregationally governed. That's why we have a big congregational members meeting at the end of the year, and that's when the decisions really get made. The board can recommend things. But the board doesn't decide big matters. We all do as a congregation. That's called congregationalism, and that's pretty important to our denomination's churches. We are mostly, as a denomination, congregational churches. We are a single elder-led congregational church. Our church does have an elder, and it's me. I am the one single person who's recognized as what the Bible would describe as an elder, what we call a pastor. What I'm going to propose is that we transition into a plural elder led congregational church. So we will still be congregationally governed, but one or two or three, depending on how the Lord guides us, spiritually qualified people from among our church membership would join me in the spiritual oversight of the church. Now, I think that would have a a great many benefits for the church that I'll talk about in the months to come. But for this morning, mainly, I just want to tell you that the reason I'd like to propose that we move that direction is I think it aligns us more closely to what we see in Scripture. And that is always going to be good. The more Any step we can take to more closely align with what we see in Scripture is going to be a step toward church health, it's going to be a step toward vibrancy as a church, and a step toward fruitfulness as a church. I think we all desire to see Doolin's Grove be fruitful and vibrant and uh, moving forward in ministry and seeing new people added to our numbers. What we don't want to do is just instinctively, let's just make some changes and, and do some stuff. Let's do what the church down the road is doing or whatever. What we want to do is go to Scripture and see, well, let's align ourselves. And it may not always be what we would think, but I think this very well may be our next step toward becoming a healthier church. We want to align as closely as possible with Scripture. So I'm going to continue to share more with you in the months to come. Um, I know all I did probably right now was trigger a bunch of questions and not answer a bunch of questions, and that's okay. And I'm happy to talk with any of you any time about it. Um, But as we patiently work through Scripture together, I'm going to do it the last Sunday of each month as my plan, heading into late fall. And then in late fall, I want to give it more sustained several Sundays in a row teaching from scripture about why I think we ought to do it and what it would look like to do it. Um, Next month, what I plan to preach about is what would stay the same and what would change. In other words, how would it affect actual daily life of church members? And so I'm looking forward to that. Um, But ask me any questions that you might have. I'm excited about this. I've been, like I said, I've been thinking about this for 12 years. And it seemed right as I prayed through it with the pastoral support team and as I prayed through it with the board, it seemed right to go ahead and move on it now. If if we do not decide to adopt it at the end of this year, I will not be crushed. I'm not like leaving if we don't do this or anything. I think we should, but if it turns out we're not ready to yet, I might just repropose it next year, but that's okay. Uh, I trust the Lord to guide us in these things. Uh, he has blessed us with a really great sense of unity of mind and heart as a church. I sense that in our board meetings, especially when we talk about these kinds of important things. And I I sense that among the church in general. So join me in praying about this possible direction for our church. And we'll just see where the Lord takes us from there. All right. So let's pray together before we sing our, our closing song. Father, thank you for giving us the New Testament. Thank you for... Thank you for founding the church on Jesus Christ. Thank you for establishing it through the apostles. Thank you for sustaining it through elders, spiritual leaders that you have provided for each and every one of your churches. Lord, it seems good to me as the pastor of this church to move this direction. If I am wrong, I trust that you'll guide us in that. If I'm right, I trust that you'll guide us in that. Would you please give us all great wisdom together as we as a church consider these things? Lord, help us to open our Bibles, study our Bibles, let you be uh, be the instructor for the right and best way to be the church together, and we will joyfully submit to you in whatever we see in your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.